Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode is a treat for horror fans, as director Remy Weeks joined us to talk about his multiple BAFTA-nominated film, His House. Remy spoke to Anna Bogutskaya about researching his film, crafting his scares, and casting the perfect leading duo. We hope you enjoy. Before we kind of dig into his house proper, um, you, which is astounding debut feature that didn't come across in my intro before but you'd already been working in filmmaking and advertising and making short films for a long time so did you feel the pressure to move into feature filmmaking yeah totally so um i um after the university me and my friend from school we acquired we became a duo and we called ourselves tell no one and we started making short films um which are very um abstract experimental, fun, very visual. Mm-hmm. And that, that gradually led into doing uh, fashion films and commercials. And um, you, you kind of find once you started doing commercials that actually, if, you, if you're like me who wants to, you know, eventually tell stories and write stories and tell narratives that the more commercials you do, the actually further away from that world you, you start to gravitate. And so I made a decision maybe about four years ago to focus on writing stories and telling stories. And mm-hmm. that began with Tickle Monster and then, then His House. And I love that you mentioned Tickle Monster because um, it's also a horror short. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you kind of what, was, were you always attracted to genre filmmaking? Yeah, I think like even, with Tanoan of my friend Luke, we um we really love when you can um you create a kind of a false sense of reality and then you give it a bit of a push, you give a bit of a nudge into something more surreal and strange and otherworldly. Um I love being able to ground something and then give it that kick. And mm-hmm. I think I, I think it kind of like cracks something open in at least in my imagination. And to be able to do that, you're able to explore ideas which um, allow lots of, lots of people to kind of um, understand something in a very um, open way and exciting way. It's mm-hmm. spectacle and, 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 and I love doing that. Yeah, and I love that his house really accomplishes that. It does what some of the best horror films do. It kind of smuggles in really hefty themes and ideas um, while making it a scary and entertaining story. Um, So I wanted to start digging into the film proper because I read that it wasn't, uh, it was, it's obviously your script, but it's based on someone else's idea. So what about, can you talk a little bit about that process? Where did that come from? How did you hear it? And what made you think that this is something you, you could make your own? So when, as I was saying, when, when I was knee-deep in commercials mm. um, and desperately wanting to get out, mm. um, the production company that I was signed to, um, whenever I went to their offices, they shared office space with two film producers, Ed and Martin, mm. and they were, you know, they're, they're quite new producers. They were developing new, new stuff and they used to come in and we used to talk about my dreams of being a filmmaker in um, narrative form 
and they said they had this project they wanted they wanted to create a horror film based on the immigrant experience mm -hmm. and they were developing it with some writers however they kind of felt like they were hitting a brick wall they weren't it wasn't going where they wanted it to go and they asked me do you want to have a go at cracking it and mm -hmm. and telling the story and so I went away and was thought about how I could make it my own mm. and eventually I came up with the idea which is basically what the film is today and I wrote a treatment a really long treatment of lots of pictures and I sent it to them and they really liked it and so eventually I, I wrote the script. Mm. So talking a little bit about the script um what sort of um what sort of process was it for you? Did you do a lot of research and many drafts or did it kind of come together really quickly? So the essential idea was like I like I wrote a treatment first, which basically had the story plotted in, in acts beginning with an end. Um, and on that in that treatment, I had kind of like the nuts and bolts of the story. And from, I created that through kind of research I did myself when I was researching the um, immigrant system in the, in the UK. And then once they liked it, that's when it went, it kind of shifted gear where actually I worked with other researchers to really dig down into um, being an asylum seeker in the UK and talking to asylum seekers and getting first-hand um, first stories of what it's like to be in the, caught in the system in the UK. Um, and that took a, lo a, a long process of writing, um, uh, writing the story out scene by scene to, mm -hmm. until we got to a point where everyone was really excited with it. And then from there, I wrote the script. And um, moving a little bit ahead, what was it like to take a, a horror script with, with so much depth to it to, to market, to actually get it made? Um, see, that was maybe the easiest part of the process. Oh. Like, I, well, I, I think it's also the most unusual. And I, I feel, I, you know, I touch wood, like, I was very lucky <laughs> that when I wrote the script, I don't know how I managed it, but I managed to write in a way that when people read it, they really got it. And people, when people read it, they really were excited by it. And when we sent it to um, different companies, a lot of people just really ex were excited by the project. And so, and, and I'm kind of making, I'm, I'm, the way I'm saying this, I'm kind of neatening it and making it more, simplifying the story. Mm. But in terms of what was the most difficult and hardest part of the process, getting the um, support behind the project was probably the, the easiest. The hardest part was what came after. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, you know, without going too much ahead, what was the hardest part of actually getting it um, greenlit was the easiest part? What was the hardest part? Mm. Um, the hardest part was as a director you have to juggle so many different elements you have your vision um and you have what you want to say but then you're also juggling the 
the needs of a studio and backers and financiers and you also have to you have to you have to take notes from people who's um you know they're what they want to have the project they want to make a great project but they also have other things they have money issues and they have um you know the, the business side of it and juggling all these different elements i think as a first time filmmaker that was incredibly difficult and especially when it came to um after shooting and the edit um and putting it together where you do it i'm sure i mean you, you you touched on it it's a film which has so many different elements to it it has drama it has horror it plays to so many different audiences at some point in editing you kind of have to focus on what you want the story to be and what's more important for the story and so that was always a conversation I was having not just with myself and the editor but also all the other people involved in the film and so really kind of being the captain of the ship was you know it was tough <laughs> oh my god i can only imagine and I wanted to start talking a lot about the characters of um, of Real and Bolt because it, it's 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 their story. Um, so, did you have particular people in mind? How did you envision these characters, and um, how did you start collaborating with your casting director, Carmen Cuba? Um, well, in terms of like the characters, I was quite when the first treatment, when they first went to the producers mm. with the idea, the, the idea was pretty much the characters, is, is mm. that I want to tell a psychological drama of two people, two mm. asylum seekers in this country mm-hmm. who have to navigate surviving after surviving and that they are two people who, um, who um, tackle it mm-hmm. in very different, quite opposite ways. Yeah. There's one character who's desperate to assimilate and to fit mm-hmm. in and to disappear. And then you have another, yeah, you have his wife who is determined to hold on to the past and mm-hmm. to really interrogate it. And these two ways of navigating their futures pull them apart. And so, the character essentially was the plot and was the story. And so, it, and from the beginning, that was the main desires. That was like the character. And so finding, in terms of finding actors, mm-hmm. I wasn't like, I, I didn't have a desire for a very specific actor. Mm-hmm. I, it was very open to like, let's look everywhere, let's, find the best actors and who understand these key characters. And, and so we really did, we really hunted and we saw a lot and we saw a lot of people. And what made you finally settle on, on Soapy and Wumi for the roles? Um, they, both of them were recommended by various different people. Chopin mm-hmm. was um, performing on stage mm-hmm. at the time and we were able to get him to come to an audition just before his, just before he was on. And Wumi was recommended, but she's 
based in LA now. And, but for, for some reason, she was in the country. I think she was just seeing family or something. She was just in, country, in the country for a short amount of time and she was leaving the next day. Um, and so we were able to get her in that afternoon. And, and also the same, because we were able to get them in that, that same afternoon, we were able to see them audition together. And when they auditioned together, mm-hmm. it was wonderful. It was, it was, it was, I, I, I say, I always say that it was like the one easy decision in the right. whole making of the film. Like I wish more of the choices I had to make was that easy. Like they were just like, they, they, was, they was so good and that's such a natural chemistry. And they vaguely knew each other in the same way that every, you know, there's a, there's a WhatsApp group for black actors mm-hmm. in, in the UK where everyone's like chatting to each other. And so like they, they, they vaguely knew each other through like other like actors and stuff, but they, you know, this is the first time they were properly like hanging out. But the chemistry was like great and it was just easy. It was great. I mean, that's amazing to hear because I was about to ask that chemistry between them is just electric. Even in the scenes where not, they're not saying anything to each other, it's so palpable through the screen. Yeah. Um, how did you, aside from kind of that, that first meeting, um, how did you build that chemistry between them? Did you, did you have a long rehearsal process or um, what else did you do to help them nurture that? I mean... I can't. I don't, know, I don't know if I can take credit for this because they they genuinely from the moment they, I think the moment that everyone hung out, like everyone, got on so well, and we had a rehearsal period, and we had a long prep where we were all in the same um, office space in uh, West London, and we were rehearsing together. So that was an opportunity for us to hang out for mm. longer. But like it generally was like because we all liked each other. And that was really fortunate for us because mm-hmm. we had to spend a long time together in one location. But like we, 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 everyone got on and everyone enjoyed each other's company. And it was really mm-hmm. sad when it was the end of the sheet and we all, we all had to go home. I mean, that's really lovely to hear. Um, and I wanted to ask a little bit as well about the secondary characters because yeah. they they seem so important to build up this kind of hostility of the environment that Bol and Real encounter. Um, yeah. How did you um, go about kind of casting those roles that are small but impactful? Like in the um, in Tilbury, in the state that we shot. Uh, yeah, well, pretty much um, for, for the whole of the film, from Matt Smith to um, even the small roles, so the people in the pub, um, the kids on the on the yeah. estate, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess similarly, like, we just, um, I, you know, I saw lots of people, I saw lots of self-tapes, mm-hmm. and then I um, auditioned them. Um, it, I guess it depends on the, the size of the role, like, for, mm-hmm. like, actors who had like talking roles and stuff it was like an audition process if it was um the featured extras and extras then they were we tried to keep it authentic to the to the location so the 
the featured extras until we were people were people from the local community. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for in Morocco that we got extras who are from South Sudan and Algeria to, to, to come. And so we try to keep it quite specific to the mm-hmm. location. Um, and yeah, I just guess chose people who I thought were really interesting and unique. I, I, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit for the really smart um, casting choices there. Oh, thank you. Um, and I wanted to go into the location and the, the house itself, because yeah. um, the haunted house is a whole subgenre of horror, and there's a yeah. lot of tropes and a lot of um, influences, um, uh, a lot of kind of really iconic films. Um, did yeah. you draw from any particular influences when you were developing, thinking, visualizing his house? Uh, there wasn't like one influence, but I, I'm, I'm no doubt I'm influenced by it all. Like I've seen, I've seen a lot of our films and <laughs> like I've seen many multiple times. And so like, I no doubt, whilst I wouldn't say like, whilst I couldn't, there's only one scene where I think there was a very specific influence. Mm-hmm. Like mostly I think there were just things I've picked up on just by loving film and studying film and trying to understand how to tell a story. Hmm. And was there any particular tropes that you wanted to avoid consciously? Um, that's a good question. Just, just before this chat, Anna, oh, you okay. said, I want to find one question that no one's, no one's asked me before. And you've done it. Um, I, I mean, there's, I think, yeah, like loads. Like I think, mm-hmm. but then there's also like, tropes I wanted to lean in on. Um, There's like, I really, part of what I loved about the story was when you're, was when you're an asylum seeker in this country, you have to Mm -hmm. follow really strict rules. And one of the rules is that you're not, you're not allowed to, once you're given a house, you're not allowed to change house. You have to stay, Mm -hmm. stay put in the house. And I thought for a haunted house genre, that's a really fun, way to keep someone in the house because one of the tropes you when you watch haunted house movies is like it's like why are you staying yeah get out good god girl get out and like but like i like that that your your characters can't and and to leave is a really complicated issue and um so that's one thing i really like playing with um i also like playing with the nature of ghosts and the idea that um, they have to be frightening and that a character might not find them frightening and actually a character will find them given the, the circumstances quite comforting, especially if the ghosts are calling back to a, a time before this new place that they're in. And so I really liked, liked for the character for VR to have a relationship with the haunting, which isn't just, I'm terrified with spooky ghosts in the house. And so that was something I really enjoyed playing with. Um, I think those are the two main tropes. I, That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and kind of sticking with the house a little bit, just on a more um, production detail of it, I guess. Um, I, it really is kind of the third lead in the film, I think, um, that location. So did you 
did you have a, um, a very specific vision for what you were looking for when you were, when you were designing the, the house? Mm, not necessarily actually, because I, like when you write something, it's mm -hmm. all in your head. And then, but when you're directing something, you're directing things which are very real and tangible. You're using real locations and people and, 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 and events. And I think it's really important for a director to let go of when you, when, you, when you move from something just pure imagination to something that's very real. I really think it's important to let go and let the real reality guide you. And so, especially when it comes to the location, you know, we shot in Tilbury in Essex because it has a history of being on the coast, it has a history of immigration. Mm -hmm. And it has, and when, you know, when you're an asylum seeker, they're always placed in, in suburban mm -hmm. communities, um, usually deprived suburban communities. And so that it would, it would seem like a really, it seemed like the right place to set the film and it had nothing to do with this, the script or the, the, how I imagine the house. We, you know, we picked up a house on the street and then we designed the scares and the sequences based on the real house. And we, we built the real house on the, on the stage. And Jacqueline Abrahams, the, the production designer, she, um, she, she designed the look and feel based on the real house, but then used I guess from the from that base, she was able to really create a new character out of it, especially through like the wallpaper and the furnishing, and the fact that we're always, you know, the character go that the house goes through many different iterations throughout the film it was a real chance to kind of tell tell a story through the through the house. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the wallpaper because it is uh, terrifying, and I've never been <laughs> wallpaper. Um, wallpaper. <laughs> um, actually, I'm really glad you bring up Jacqueline because I wanted to ask you: um, Could you elaborate a little bit on how you work together in making um, this the interior of the house terrifying and kind of those layers and how it evolved uh, that you mentioned that it goes through iterations? Yeah, I mean, Jacqueline's awesome. She's an artist. And she, um, you know, what's important for her and for me is that we go to these locations and we go, we, you know, we were in Tilby for a bit and we went to different people's houses. Um, and then we all, not just using their houses, but then researching house, um, houses that Simon Seekers are housed in. But then from there, really kind of, going, you know, left field and being like, well, how do we, how do we use colors effectively? And, and what's the next layer gonna reveal? And what's the layer after that gonna reveal and how it's gonna look? And she really like pulled from so many different interesting sources to, to create the look of the film. She's great. <laughs> Um, and I was wondering as well, you, you mentioned before kind of your interest in the, um, kind of the strange and the otherworldly and yeah. there's something about his house that makes kind of the everyday feel uncanny, um, yeah. even kind of very 
straight, seemingly straightforward situations like um, like Real going, trying to run an errand and getting lost and yeah. kind of just a simple passage becoming terrifying. So can you talk a little bit about how um, you lean into the terrifying in the in the kind of everyday almost daylight scenes as well which i always find it very impressive when directors manage to make a scene in the daylight horrifying because usually we think of horror as um shadows and darkness yeah yeah me too um although like i feel like i underestimated the people to find that scene as horrifying <laughs> like I, i really i like that like i thought it would be like weird but <laughs> people will be scared by it but I'm, I'm glad people are um I, I think um like for that scene like we were saying earlier about references like that was the one scene where I had a very specific reference um which was The Shining because I wanted to find a way to you know hail um Kubrick <laughs> somewhere in, in in the film and I really like mix I, I really like the I thought it was fun to like make a very shining reference, but like in an estate in Tilbury and make it very British. And so we we um we we shot around the estate, but then we also made fake walls throughout, so it, it, to create a really much more enclosed uh, maze-like um, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And um, I also kind of like making it a little bit. Surreal when you see the same um, boy twice and things like that, just to give it a, a strange energy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, I don't know, suburban Britain is quite surreal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as someone who gets lost all the time on streets, I found that particular scene extremely terrified. <laughs> um, but um, I, I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper into the, um, um, the, the, hor- the horrific aspects of it. Um, mm-hmm. and you mentioned the, the spooky ghosts before, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the, the design of them, really. Um, oh. not, just the, not just the ghost figures, but also the witch figure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I, I... It's really like one of the you know many difficult choices that I kind of I kind of gave myself um, is how stylistic you do things, yeah. and I always think, given the history of horror and the history of um, uh, black representation in horror, I was I always found myself pulling back when it was when I was making something too stylish. I always kind of try and ground it as much as possible. And so I guess with the ghost, I try to just kind of have elements of interest to them, mm. but always kind of just pull it back just a little on it. And yeah, I don't think that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it kind of, Picking up a little bit on that, there's um there's a there's some kind of gore and violence and in, in yeah. but a lot is left to the imagination, kind of out of shot. Um, yeah. What was your process in making a decision on what to show and what to um, imply? Um, I love gore in movies. 
like I think well-timed goal is the best. However, mm-hmm. and they hope that one day I get to play of goal more. However, it just, it just wasn't appropriate for this film. I think it's when you're touching on real life violence, it's not the time to be having fun with gore. Like it's, it didn't, it wasn't right for me. It wasn't, it didn't feel um, appropriate. And so I was quite keen mm-hmm. to not make this a film with violence and, and gore. Like I, that wasn't, I wasn't interested in showing that and I tried to avoid it where, where mm-hmm. I could. Um, that's not to say that's my style. Like I think, you know, if I make another film, Touchwood, then then I maybe I will have um, lots of going, but for this project, it didn't sit right with me. That um, makes absolutely sense. Yeah. And I wanted to pick up on kind of sticking on the um, on the visuals. And it's interesting that at the very beginning of our chat, you mentioned that your your treatment you put in a lot of visual images and references. Yeah. Of, um, can you talk a little bit about how you worked with um, with your cinematographer on on the multiple um, visual styles of the film? Because there seems to be a one way to film um, to shoot kind of the um, the outside world and then the the interior of the house and also these beautiful surreal scenes, especially the scene with um, with Paul. Yeah, I think it was all kind of the same. A similar philosophy like I'm quite a traditionalist like I really like um uh Steadicam and I really like um a composed mise-en-scene um and so like <laughs> like like, it, like, <laughs> like I, I I you know I'm not like I like like this whole film is storyboarded every every scene and uh-huh. that's a thing that I learned like if you've seen any of my stuff Mm-hmm. With Tell No One, like I'm, I've come. My background has been someone who works not just in the visuals, but also mm-hmm. I do post production. I do sound design, and I do a bit of music. But thank God, not anymore. And um, these, because um, my training is in so many different elements. It's so important to to be precise mm-hmm. with how we put things together because everything feeds everything. The, post, the post-production the post team needs to know what they're doing and the sound team needs to know what they're doing. And so, you know, I, I we learned very early on to storyboard everything and to go through everything so everyone knows where every, where every shot and where every scene is supposed to be doing. It's not to say that on the day we can't change our minds and find a better shot, but like it's always, really important for me to have like a map mm-hmm. and then we know especially when it comes to very technical scenes where it's about um building a scare or, mm-hmm. or, or building a reveal like what you're, you're saying with the dream sequences mm-hmm. it's so important for every department to know how, to know what we're trying to do and mm-hmm. so i think that's partly why my style is very um it's not a style where we just kind of feel a way through it on the day like that's a great way of working too but like for me mm-hmm. um it's more important to know what we're doing and to know what this shot and the scene is and to to um to execute mm. each shot and each scene 
as best as possible so that when it comes to edit, we can piece things together and it creates a, a sequence that is effective. Mm. Um, and I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned at the beginning that one of the, um, the, the most difficult bits of, of making his house was being the captain of the ship and being accountable to so many different people, both yeah. the business side and on the creative side in your team. Um, mm. And I wanted to ask you, kind of coming off of more, uh, I imagine, kind of short-term shoots, what was the biggest learning curve in um, working on a much longer uh, project that, that would have taken you a lot longer than a, a couple of days or a week's shoot? Uh, stamina is a huge thing. Be having the um, stamina, like when we were doing commercials and stuff mm -hmm. and music videos and fashion films, because mm -hmm. it's like one of the two-day shoots, like pre-production, like won't just like work at 150%, like, like work for 12 hours, get no sleep, bunker down, put everything, you know, put, you know, you're, you're, you're completely switched on. You go to the shoot again, no sleep, get through it. And then after the one or two day shoot, you just crash for like a week and you recover. But like on the, on the, feature film you can't do that you have to really mm. um you have to really like learn how to pace yourself and to um make sure you're getting enough sleep make sure that you're you, you're in charge of your day that you're doing you know mindfulness that you are keeping yourself mentally strong for the next day mm. um like that is something that I had to work on pretty quickly, change the kind of way of. And, and kind of as a, as a follow on to that, um, because the film is so emotionally intense and there's so much um, kind of richness and, and um, depth to the, the journey that Real and Bolt go through, I imagine it must have been a very emotionally intense shoot as well, especially for, um, for Shop and, and Wumi. So, how, what did you do to make sure to take care of your of your cast and crew as well as the director? See, um, I mean, I talked to, Shabby talks about this a lot um, mm. in kind of low terms, because he, he gets asked a lot, like, how do you, like, you must have been so terrified, those, those, those sequences. And he's uh -huh. like, actually, the set wasn't that scary. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> I wasn't terrified at all. And I think, I think that's something about, um, working on the set was that we all had a good time and we all enjoyed each other's company and working together was the best part of making the film. Mm. And so, yes, there were scenes where it got really intense and it got really hard and it got really draining. But outside of those scenes, it was just like a fun day at work. And so like it, it didn't, that was part of why I think the process for us was successful, mm -hmm. was that work really was a pleasure. And it was really like everyone really loved what they were doing and we really, knew, we really wanted to make the same thing. And you have the days where, like the hard days, like when we, when we shot in Morocco, where um, she was with the women, that was a tough day for her. Or the bus sequence, that were like 
specific really tough days mm -hmm. but because we all enjoyed each other's company like you kind of you work through it and but but then the next day it's a it's a pleasure you know that's really lovely to hear and i'm being conscious of time and i'm seeing a, a quite a bit of questions coming through so okay. this is a reminder to everyone uh, pop your questions in the chat box um and i'll try to get through as many as possible so um Mark asks, when writing the script, what pushed you in the direction of Ball's ending? Was it a question as to whether he would live or not? And what you and what made you go the way that you did? Um, uh, I always, like, it was never a question for me that, um, although the ending had mixed emotions, it, it still had to be leaning towards optimism. Mm. And that was very important to me. Um, it's just, and again, it could be different than another film I make, but I doubt it because I'm quite an optimist that I think, like, I think, especially when you're telling stories, like I, I want to say something positive about the world and not necessarily nihilistic. Um, and so I always, um, yeah, that, that's how I, uh, that, that, that part of it was always ending. How, but in terms of tonally, mm -hmm. it was always a, this, it was always a debate in my head and also in the edit and in, on, on the set. Because um, when you're talking about trauma, you want to say that, you, you want to tell a story where it says it gets better, but at the same time, I think I'd be lying if I were to say, it won't get better, like with a snap of your fingers, like everything's healed and you can move on with your life. It's it's a process, and so finding that kind of balance with the ending was always something I was we was working with, we're, we're, we're working on. Thank you. Um, and Paul asks, what were the storytelling devices you considered to ratchet up the tension? I think I'm a huge one of my favorite filmmakers in the world um is alfred hitchcock and he has lots of amazing um opinions on tension and suspense a lot of which you'll find on youtube um which is absolutely fascinating um it's, all, it's always about it always comes down to how much do you how much do you reveal to an audience and at what time and it's always the, throughout the film and the edit it's about um revealing certain elements whether it's um a scare sequence or whether it's a narrative plot point it's mm -hmm. about getting that kind of getting the information to the audience at the right time so the audience always needs to keep watching to find the conclusion Paul, another different Paul, asks, um, well, says, terrific film, well done, uh, tank work was impressive. Um, could you, what was the schedule for that? I guess, I guess the question <laughs> is- specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you elaborate on the tank scene. On the um, tank. Well, there's different tank scenes. There was one, there's the, the when the boat capsizes, which yeah. was um, one day in um, a tank studio. And then there was the, water sequences, the dream sequences, which mm -hmm. was um, with, 
with Shobek as well, which mm. was shot over th- three days, I think, maybe four. I hope that answers your question, Paul. Um, and uh, getting over to the polls, but another poll asks, what was the most challenging and or satisfying sequence to direct in the film? <laughs> um, one of my favorite th- scenes to direct was with um, Matt Smith and Shobek mm. in, the off- in the office scene. Um, when he goes to the offices and they're sparring and a lot of it was, a lot of that sequence was um, developed with the actors through the rehearsals and on the day. They, uh-huh. um, we rehearsed, like the original script for that scene uh-huh. isn't really what they eventually say on the day. We, when we rehearsed it, uh-huh. we did a lot of ad-libbing and then from the ad-libbing we did some um, we, we, we adapted the script to the, their um, improvisations, which were amazing. And then even on the sheet day, mm-hmm. part of it was from the script, but part of it, they were just sparring backwards and forwards. And it was a lot of fun to, to watch them at, go at each other. <laughs> um, that's really awesome to hear. And um, Genesis asks, how was the notes taking process for you when drafting the script? And how did you balance the expectation of your team while staying true to the vision of your story? I'd say, I think notes are your friend. <laughs> like, I, I, I think it's, well, it's important about who's giving you the note. But generally, if you're working in an environment where you have trust in the people you work with, the notes are your friend. And when people are telling you something, it's the old thing where they might not be saying specifically what's wrong mm-hmm. however what they are doing is is picking up on some a problem which maybe they're not being able to explain well or you could just ignore their note but I think having people I think getting people's opinions the right people's opinions really important really early on as early on as you can because um the best time to get noticed during the script because then you can change it without costing lots of money. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, this is a question from Paris and they're asking, do you have any plans for a physical release or any behind the scenes material to be released? No, <laughs> it was released briefly in, in the, in, in London and some of the cities during Halloween, but I don't think it's going to be released again. I mean, personally, I really want to see the um, the sparring behind the scenes shots, but hopefully that will make it somewhere sometime. Um, yeah. And uh, Paul asks, um, what is the biggest lesson that you learned on this film Ooh. as a director? Wow. Big question. Um, biggest lesson? Maybe this kind of contradicts my note, my my um, response to the like the notes question, but I really think, especially when you're a first-time filmmaker, and especially when you're working in an industry that you don't know that well, mm. I think it's very easy for other people who are more experienced than you to tell to tell you what you should do or to to say that they to give to present an illusion that they know the right way to do things and sometimes it can make you forget make prevent you from trusting yourself and your instincts 
And I think it's really important to know that while people are giving you, may give you some really fantastic advice and you should definitely listen to them, that you, you also need to trust yourself and trust the instincts because I would say that you are, or whoever, 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 whoever's watching, you're probably really good at what you do and you should trust your, that quality in yourself and that, you, and that um, maybe sometimes someone who's really experienced may give you some advice, but maybe they're giving advice because um, it's easy. It's the easier option. And maybe your option, the option you're doing is the harder option, but the harder option is the, mo the more worthwhile option because it enables you to create something that's different and exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I think you should, whilst you should really engage with more experienced people and get their tips and advice and their notes, you should also try and hold on to your confidence and your um, self-belief. That's a very big lesson and some very good, um, some very good advice. Um, I'm conscious of time. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, um, what do you hope that people get out of watching his house? Um, I hope people watch it and enjoy it and makes them think about things differently and uh, tells their friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great note to end on. Really. <laughs> Tell your friends his house yeah. on Netflix, nominated yeah. for, um, I have in my notes, 16 biffers. In it, you know, Matt. <laughs> Um, Remy, thank you so much for your time this evening and um, I really hope that on your next project you get to play with some gore. <laughs> Me too! <laughs> this podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.